Hey, it's good to be with you. We are in a series, uh, this is our third week, and uh, we're in a short series talking about building a life and what does it look like to really focus on what matters most. And uh, like all of you, I know your favorite thing to talk about on the weekend is work. And so we're going to talk about work tonight and really how that fits into something. You're like, no, no, please. I'm trying not to think about it for another couple hours. Well, today we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about how work really fits into what it looks like to build a life. And I want to start off with just some different kind of statistics having to do with work. And these are just kind of some different infographics and things that I found as I was exploring this subject. But some of these are pretty interesting. One of these is this. That the average human will work 90,000 hours of work over their lifetime, which really is the equivalent of about 10 years just consecutively straight. And the only thing uh, bigger than that is sleep. So, I mean, if you think about the course of your life, this is really one of the, the main things that you will be doing with your life is working. And that's if you retire actually at 65, which a lot of times today is a joke. I mean, people are working up until they're 80, 85, 105. And... Um, this is, uh, this is uh, the time we spend each day working to pay taxes. Approximately one hour, 55 minutes spent every day goes towards your taxes. So I don't know what you know, hour, those might be your Facebook scrolling hours. I don't know what hours those are, but a couple hours each day goes towards Medicaid and, uh, and uh, income security and all, all these social security, all these different things that about two hours of each working day goes to pay your taxes. And this is a kind of a compilation of things. 43% of workers say they are detached or disengaged from their current jobs. So if you feel like, man, I don't really like my job, I'm not really engaged in my job, about 43% of people say that. Uh, five months is the average time an employee spends transitioning from an engaged worker to actively then looking for a new job. So even once you are engaged, then you start looking for a new job. Top five reasons people leave a job, difficult boss relationship is number one. So if you've ever had a difficult boss, and I know conversations with some of you, that's the number one reason that people will leave a job. Stressful organizational culture, lack of stability, lack of advancement opportunities. And number five is compensation, which a lot of times we think people leave jobs because of money and trying to advance, but really that's, that's only the fifth reason. Top five factors that trigger a job search. So when people start looking for a job, that number one is they're laid off or quit or lose their job. Number two is a poor working environment. Number three, lack of opportunities for advancement. Number four, location. And number five, again, low compensation. So actually not really huge on the list. Top five, but not huge. Uh, in the U.S., three in four Americans feel stressed at work. So maybe that sounds low to you. I was going to say four out of four, but three out of four feel stressed in work, and 25% of people say it's the most stressful thing in their lives. So when you look at your life and the things that cause the most stress, 25% of the country would say this is the number one thing, which I love this, the result, over one million workers call in sick to work every day due to stress which is kind of like calling in sick and we're like, hey, why, why are you calling in sick? Because I have a job. Oh, okay, I'm stressed, okay, and today, are you still stressed? Yes, I'm still stressed. I mean, it doesn't necessarily qualify as sickness, but a million people every day are too stressed to even go into their job because of the stress it causes. And which might lead to this, the average American worker wastes 1.7 hours per workday slacking, and that could be um, on... D distracted by internet was the biggest piece of the pie. So <laughs> I love the knowing laughter. Everyone's like, only 1.7? I thought it was more like 6.7. Spaced out, uh, applying for other jobs. 1.3% are applying for other jobs. Uh, I can't read that one because it's a weird uh, blurry thing. Oh, handling personal business. That's what it says. Okay, so, and socializing. I mean, so that's, I mean, think about that. Two hours of the day are spent paying taxes. Two hours of the day are spent doing Facebook. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's kind of the condition that we find ourselves in. And then finally, I just thought this one was kind of funny, but the 10 jobs that attract the most psychopaths. And this is actually a real study. This is not just like someone being funny. This is a real study. They find out where people that are medically considered psychopathic, top 10 jobs, CEO, lawyer, media, salesperson, surgeon, journalist, police officer, clergy person, a pastor. I was like, no, this is not true. 
and I shot my TV screen, you know, uh, number nine, chef, <laughs> number nine, chef, and number 10, civil servant. I feel like this includes kind of everybody. So I'm like, everybody but blue collar workers. So if you are in construction, you're safe. But all the rest of us, we're psychopaths. So that's kind of uh, <laughs> work, okay? Work is something we think about all the time, right? Something we think about all the time. I mean, we have all sorts of thoughts about work. You might be thinking about your job now. You may be thinking about, should I change jobs? Or should I find a different job? Or, or how do I handle this situation in my work? Or if you own your own business or you manage people, you may be thinking about how to handle a particular uh, employee. Or you may be thinking about a particular coworker or boss. Or how to handle conflict in work. Or you may be thinking about how to best use those 1.7 hours slacking since you're going to do it anyway. So how can I maximize those hours? You know, we think about work all the time. It takes a lot of emotional energy, our jobs do as well. And it's not even just that. We spend thousands and thousands and hours of our life in work. Work is a huge, 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 huge part of our life, right? And so if that's true, if work is something that is a huge part of our life, that takes so much time and so much energy, and there's so many issues associated with it, with it I would say it's probably one of the number one greatest things that we need to think about. How does it then fit into building a life? If we're talking about building a life and really focusing on what matters most, and work is this giant piece of our life, right, that takes up emotional and mental and spiritual energy and actual physical energy and time, how does that actually fit into building a life? I, I can tell you this. As a pastor, I talk to people about all sorts of things in their lives, all sorts of things from marriage problems to parenting issues and, and uh, counseling issues and all across the board. But I don't talk to people every week about uh, sexual issues or marriage issues. And I don't talk to people every week about um, kind of anxiety issues. Or, but I do talk every single week that I can think of. Every single week. It happened this week. It happened last week. I'm sure it'll happen this coming week. Every week I talk to people about work-related issues. It's just non-stop. So this is one of the biggest things that we would have to say, how does work, how does work fit into building a life? How does work, if, 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 uh, if we want to actually build a life, this is what we talked about the last uh, two weeks, if we want to build a life that is the best life that God intends for us, it's, it's a life that is really honoring to God, that is supposed to be the actual purpose of life to begin with, if we want to build a life, how does work fit into that? How do our jobs fit into the lives that we are building? Because the truth is we don't often think about that from a, a perspective of, of what does the Bible say. And yet the Bible has a lot to say about our jobs. It's got tons to say. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, there is a lot in the Bible that speaks to our work. God offers a lot of wisdom and a lot of direction and a lot of maybe even challenging things about our work. And yet truth is we don't often think about it, right? And we think about all sorts of things related to our work, but how often, and maybe when's the last time, you actually said, man, what does the Bible say about work? We do that with a lot of stuff. There's a lot of different things that we might say, what does the Bible say about marriage or parenting or friendships? Or, but how often do we actually say, I mean, just think about for your own life, how often do you go, man, what does the Bible say about work and about jobs? And what, is it, what does it say? It's, it's really easy not to think about it. And yet it's one of the biggest components of building our life towards something that God would intend. It's one of the biggest things. And so tonight, I want to talk about one, there's all sorts of things we could talk about, okay, about work, because I'm saying the Bible is filled with it. But I want to talk about one kind of guiding reality that the Bible focuses us in on that can help us think through all sorts of other issues. So we can't talk about every issue related to work. But I want to focus in on one guiding reality, one thing that really will help us think about all sorts of other issues. And maybe this can help kickstart us in the right direction. So what is the guiding reality for our work? What is, what is true? Here, here's what I mean by the guiding reality. What is true? What's true about our work? What, what is a true thing about our work that God tells us that can kind of guide us through all sorts of other things? What is the guiding reality of our work? And here's, here is a verse in the Bible that Paul, a pastor, writes to the church in a city called Colossae, and he says this. 
He says, whatever you do, and he's talking about work, whatever you do, work heartily. Or the NIV says, work with all your heart. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So this simple verse is really going to be the basis of what we talk about in this guiding reality that can help us with all sorts of other things in work. And Paul says, whatever you do, work with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord. And then he closes saying, you are serving Christ. The the guiding reality is this. It's that we are working for Jesus. You're working for Jesus. Jesus. Now, you know, as a pastor, it's sometimes easier for me to think about that, that, oh, I'm working for Jesus. But but Paul's not writing to pastors here. He's writing to just people that are in a city, that are in a church. And he says, look, you are working for Jesus. That let this be the guiding reality that no matter whatever the, 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 um, whatever the name on your paycheck, whatever the, the logo on the company is, whatever job you do, whatever, whether you're an engineer, you're a doctor, a lawyer, you're in sales, or you're in uh, whatever you're in, you're a barista, Paul says, you are working for Jesus. This is the guiding reality when we think about our jobs. You are working for Jesus. That's the guiding reality. This is a very important thing that no matter what you do, now, now think about what would happen if that really was the deepest reality? Because we think about work all the time, it takes emotional energy all the time. There's all sorts of thoughts about our jobs, right? But what if the deepest reality in our work, whatever you do, was I work for Jesus? What would happen? What would happen to your work? How would that start to shape it. And and even if you're somebody that's not a Christian, and we love having people here that are exploring faith, I want you to think about tonight, as you you listen to some of this stuff, if if this was true, how would this shape, how would this shape your job? How would it shape? Because it's, whether you're Christian or not, if you're a Christian, this is really easy to forget. You may even have heard this before. You may even know this. You may even have this verse memorized. But it's really easy to forget, right? It's really easy to show up to work and clock in and you don't show up going, hey, where's Jesus at? He's my boss. That's not usually how we feel, right? Jesus isn't at the company Christmas party. He doesn't kind of stop by at the cube. And I mean, it's not normally how we kind of think about our jobs. So it's easy to forget that. But Paul says, look, let this guide everything you do. Let this be the guiding reality for your job that you work for Jesus. So what would happen if, if we believe that? What would happen? See, there's kind of two common temptations that we are going to talk about that mess with us in our work. And really, both of these things come from forgetting this guiding reality. We, we have all sorts of problems in our work, all sorts of things that we are tempted to, different problems within our job. And And not all of them, but many of them can kind of be categorized under two different buckets. They can kind of be categorized under two different things that we'll talk about. But both of those really come from forgetting that we work for Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about both of these different categories, both of these different things that kind of a lot of our different temptations and problems come from in work and how it is that working for Jesus would change that. And these two categories come from a book called uh, The Gospel at Work by a man named Greg Gilbert. So if you want to study this more, I'd encourage you for that. But I kind of took these two categories from him, so fair citation there. Uh, And the first is this, it's idolatry. Kind of one of the common temptations in our work, one of the common things that mess with us, that create problems in our work is idolatry. Now let's talk about idolatry. What does that mean? See, an idol, something that is idolatrous, something that is an idol to us, is anything in our life that is more important to us than God. That's what an idol is. And I know that's kind of old, archaic language, and we might think of statues and that kind of thing, but an idol is anything that has become more important to us than God. It's something that we look to, that we build our life around, 
That's what a God is. A God is something that you say, this is most important, that I build my life around it, and I, I love this, and I pursue this, and I, this is the foundation of, of my life, and this is where ultimate meaning is, and joy is, and, and all those different things. And it's very common, many of the different problems that we experience in our job is from idolatry. It's from making work into this thing that becomes most important to us. It's from looking at work as something that we actually put way bigger than it is supposed to be. That's one of the ways that our work is affected, is idolatry. Now, let me, let me explain a little bit more about how this affects our work. See, if something is idolatrous, one of the ways that gets expressed is we say, this is the main source of my joy and satisfaction. That's what, that's what God is supposed to be to us, right? So if something becomes an idol to us, we can say, this is the main source of my joy and my satisfaction in life. So here's how, that, here's how you know if this is kind of where you are with work. If you come to work, and the way you think about work is, I need fulfillment out of my job. You ever think about that? That, man, I want a job that's fulfilling. I want a job that, that fulfills me. And I'm not saying it's bad to like your job. But I was hanging out with my grandpa the last few days, and he used to be a miner. And I can guarantee you, he didn't, he didn't pick mining because he thought this would be a really fulfilling line of work. It's a very recent and a very modern and a very Western idea to say, hey, you know what we should do? We should find jobs that really fulfill us, that give us this deep sense of satisfaction and purpose. And I go to work every day knowing I'm making a difference. I'm not saying not to do that, okay? But I am saying this. That's a... That's not how most of the time for thousands of years people have thought about work. Most of the time for thousands of years people have thought about work as this is a job and I'm doing something and, and we, we could talk more about some of the history of work. But what I'm saying is this, if the way you think about work is this is where I'm going to get fulfillment, this is where I'm going to get joy, and this is where I'm going to get purpose, and this is where I'm going to get meaning, it may have become an idol to you. And maybe, and you can think about this positively and negatively, Positively, you can think about it this way. Maybe you have a job like that. Maybe you actually love your job and it fulfills you so much. And so it's become this very, very, very important thing to you that, that man, if you were ever to lose it, it would crush you because it's the source of your fulfillment. Or you can think about it negatively, that you show up to work and go, man, what am I doing here? I'm not fulfilled here. What is this? Because it still has become an idol to you that you're looking to work to provide a sense of fulfillment, to provide a sense of deep satisfaction and joy. So maybe for some of you, that's how idolatry gets expressed. Or maybe it's this. An idol is something we look to. We build our life on and we find ultimate joy in and we find ultimate satisfaction in or that we find a sense of identity in. So think about this. For many of us, work is the place that we find our deepest sense of identity I mean, isn't it true that when we meet people and we say, hey, what do you, one of the first questions is, what do you do? And we feel a pressure to respond to that. We feel a pressure to respond to that with a good answer. We feel a pressure to respond to that in a way that measures up with expectations. Because work, if it becomes an idol, it becomes something way too important to us. It becomes something we're actually building our life on, that we're actually getting our identity from. Work then becomes this thing that we are looking to for value and worth. We're looking to it to, to help us know that we are okay. See, many of us live with this sense of, I'm not okay, and I'm not enough, and we struggle with, whatever you want to call it, struggle with feelings of worth and value, and work can be the place. Work can be the place, based on my performance and how well I do, that I know I matter, that I know I'm okay, that I know I have value. And this shows up with, if, if you're doing really well at work, you feel great. I mean, if you're hitting the numbers and you're hitting the goals and you're, you're accomplishing what you're supposed to accomplish, a lot of times this happens in sales or in finance, and you're hitting everything you're supposed to hit, you feel awesome. And if you're not, you feel not just like, dang it, I wish I was doing a good job. You feel like a failure. And people see me as a failure. Because you're looking to work to give you your worth. And you're looking to work 
to give you your value. Or, or, or another way this happens with looking to work to give you a sense of identity, to know that you're okay, is you show up, you show up to work, and maybe you have other people. Maybe it's a boss or a coworker, and, and they make comments about your work. And, and, and you want to be able to impress, and you want to be able to look good in their eyes, and you want to be able to get their recognition, not just because you want to do a good job, but because you need to feel, I'm okay, I'm validated. And the hardest days of, of your week may be the days that people show up and disrespect you in your job, or correct you in your job, or say you're not doing a good job. And, it, and it's not just that you're upset that you're not doing a good job because you really care about the work, but because it says something about you. And your identity, and you're looking to work for value, or, or maybe it's the industry as a whole, and you're, and you're trying to say, man, how am I doing in this industry? Where am I at? How do I measure up comparatively to others? That oftentimes we look to work to give us our worth, and our value. I was watching this mini-series, and maybe some of you saw it, it was on the Discovery Channel about uh, the founding of the Harley-Davidson Company. My little brother just bought a Harley, and he thinks he's like the coolest thing in the world, and, and he is now because he has a Harley, and it's, it's awesome. Um, and the sales pitch, he told me that the person said, <laughs> he was like looking at a Kawasaki that was way, way, way cheaper, and the person was like, hey, yeah, I guess you could buy that, but do you, want, do you want that, or do you want iron under your legs? And he was like, oh, I want iron, you know, and spent like seven grand more. So, you know, that's, he's, that, good job to that salesperson. They walked out with a good commission, right? But Harley, you know, it's a, it's a well-known company, been around for a long time. And they, they started before the Great Depression and went through all these kind of ups and downs. And, and in this miniseries, and I don't know how true this is to accuracy, but, but one of the big themes over and over again that kept them going, that no matter what, they said, man, we want to make a name for ourselves, we want to be able to preserve our good name. And that's what drove them, and that's what kept them going. That for them, it wasn't just about motorcycles. It wasn't just about creating a good bike. It was about their value and their worth and their identity. And this is idolatry. Not to call out Harley. I'm not saying they're an evil, you know, demonic company or something. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we can look to our work and say, this will give me a name. That's powerful language, right? This will give me a name. This will allow my name to mean something. This will allow my name to have value. This will allow, when my name is said, that it, it will have a standing of goodness on top of it. That I want my name to be okay based on my work. This is idolatry that we say, man, work, I'm looking to work, not just to do a good job, but to define me, to help me know that I as a human being, as a person, am okay. That I actually matter. See, you know that this is kind of what you fall into if you're always kind of going up and down in your mood based on how well you do. That based on your performance, based on how well you do at work, that controls your mood. If you walk into work and everyone says, man, we just want to say your name's at the top of the board, then you walk out going, yes, I'm good, I feel great. And if you walk in and you're number three or four or five or six or seven or you're not even on the board, I'm a failure. There's no worth. Or if you feel jealous of other people, especially those in your same line of work. Maybe you even follow them on Facebook and you got into the same kind of line of work at the same time and, and you start to see, man, they're a little bit ahead of me or they, they've done a little bit better than me or they're making more than me or they have more success or now they've branched off and they've started their own thing. Or, and, and we can feel a, a, a cognizant jealousy, which is we actually feel, man, I want that and, and they have that. Or we can feel a jealousy that's a, uh, self-deceptive jealousy, which is we go, well, they probably sold out, or they, the reason that that's happening is this, or they just got lucky, or they just, and we, and we feel these feelings, because their success makes us feel like we don't have the value and the worth that we want from work or stress. A lot of us, the reason we're stressed at work isn't just because the job is hard, and I know jobs are hard, I'm not saying jobs are easy, it's a job, it's called labor, the only, I always think this is funny. The only two things that we call labor is work and childbirth. You know, they're very related, right? It's hard. So there's a reason. There's a labor day. It's to celebrate all the hard work. Sometimes we want an easy job. It's a job. It's work. It's a whole nother sermon. The Bible says our work is cursed. But a lot of times the stress comes from this. 
It comes from, I'm not just trying to do a good job. I'm fighting for my very value and my very worth. So of course I'm stressed. I'm stressed because I'm trying to hold it all together and not lose my worth. This is idolatry. This comes from forgetting one of the main great principles of work that guides us, which is that we work for Jesus. And, and we'll come back to that. So I said there was, two, there was two kind of common temptations that happen in our work that a lot of different issues can fit into. And one of those is idolatry, that our work is affected by overvaluing it, that it becomes everything to us, whether we have it or not. It becomes everything to us. And it stems all sorts of issues. But, but another one is idleness, which is a inactivity. This is another kind of category that affects our work. And this is more subtle. Because usually we can spot the people that, man, they overvalue their work and usually they're really driven and, and, and work kind of looks central to them. But another way, another very com common, common, common temptation, I would even say more common in Denver is idleness. And the reason I say more common in Denver is because in some cities, you, this, is what, this is what your conversation looks like on a Sunday. You ask someone this, you say, hey, how was your, how was your work week? How'd work go this week? But that's not what we say here, right? If you started greeting people here, you probably said this. What'd you do this weekend? Because work is more of a necessary evil. It's this thing that funds our life. That's very common in Denver. In Denver, I, I, although, you know, when I started talking about work and overworking and idolatry, I know that affects us. And some of you are like, man, that's me. Hit the nail on the head. But I think more common, and it's not, this is not a personality test. Like you have to pick one or the other, okay? You can go, no, I'm both. Idleness affects our work, where we actually undervalue our work. Work doesn't matter. I think, again, like I said, especially in Denver, and I also think especially Christians, especially Christians, because sometimes we think, man, this is my Christian life over here, and church, and activities, and, and then work. God doesn't really care about that. That's just kind of part of this world, and I just kind of have to do it. And see, if the way idleness affects our work is that we are not living to work, but we're working to live. And it might not be idleness of actual action, okay? So if you go, man, I actually do a really good job. I work hard. But it may be idleness of heart. And so we saw earlier the verse, and it said, work with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord. But an idle heart, a heart that is not firing on all cylinders, a heart that is, is just kind of in neutral, a heart that's there, it's disengaged from its work. That's what an idle heart is. An idle heart is a heart that enters into its work and it's just kind of at rest, the heart. And it's disengaged and it's kind of just coasting. It might even be doing the job, but its heart is idle. It's not actually entering in and engaged and going, how can I be a part of God's purposes in my work? How can I work with all my heart for Jesus? It's, it's just kind of on neutral. And see, you start to think about that and go, how? maybe idleness is affecting me. Maybe idleness is there. Maybe even though I'm very busy at work and very stressed at work and do a lot of stuff in work, is my heart actively engaged with Jesus in my work? Here's maybe some ways you can think about this. Do you have the Monday blues? You always dread work because it's just this necessary evil. Your real life, your real li the life that you really live is Saturday and Sunday and the vacations. And so you hate Monday. Or maybe you're lazy at work, a genuine ac action idleness that you don't do stuff because it's just like, man, this doesn't really matter. Or you complain a lot at work because you're, you're, not, you're not valuing the work. It's just kind of this necessary evil that's in your life that has to fund your real life. Or maybe you cut corners at work because, again, it doesn't really matter all that much. Or you're bored at work. Because you enter into work and it doesn't, think about it, if work doesn't matter, if it's just this thing that has to be there, then that creates boredom and it creates complaining and it creates joylessness and it creates Monday blues and it creates all of these different things. Okay, So idolatry and idleness, 
Both of these things. You may find yourself more in one or the other. You might find yourself 50-50 in both of them. And I guarantee we're both somewhere in these, okay? So if you hear those categories and you go, I'm not in there at all, maybe, maybe think about it again. Idolatry and idleness are the two most common temptations and buckets that so many of our different issues in work fall into. And both of them stem from forgetting. They stem from forgetting the guiding reality that we work for Jesus. So let's talk about this. How does working for Jesus affect both of these common temptations? How does working for Jesus, if, if, if we really took that guiding reality then, okay, I work for Jesus, if we took that guiding reality, how would that then affect our work? How would it affect idolatry and how would it affect idleness? Or, or another way to say this of how does working for Jesus affect both of these is just simply this, how does our faith, how does being a Christian, how does that influence our work? How does being a Christian influence your work? How does your faith actually influence your work. And so let's think about these two common temptations, again, both idol, idolatry and idleness, and talk about how our faith, how working for Jesus would affect this. So back to idolatry, it's this. Id- idols in work. If work is an idol to you, it's, it's the place that, man, you really get your sense of identity and your sense of fulfillment and your sense of satisfaction. Or even if you don't have that, that's what you're looking to it for. It will never be able to deliver that to you. If I could go back in time, I could talk to Mr. Harley and Mr. Davidson and say, work will never give you the name that you long for to know that your name is now okay because of your work. Work cannot do that. But here's how your faith, here's how working for Jesus influences that. See, Jesus says, you work for me, not for men. You work for me, not for men. It's it's said in the verse that we looked at, whatever you do, work heartily, work with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for men. And here's what Jesus is saying. Look, you work for me. And when you work for me, you don't have to fight for your identity and your value and your worth. That's not the kind of boss I am. That's not the kind of Lord I am that you serve. I've already given that to you. See, if you're a Christian, when you become a Christian, here's what the Bible says happens when you become a Christian. Jesus gathered his disciples together when he was about to leave this earth, when he had died and resurrected. He gathered the disciples together and said, here's your job. Go do this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Do you ever think about that? What does it mean, in the name of? It doesn't just mean saying those words, although we do say that. When we baptize people, we say, baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean, in the name? It means the same thing that we long for from our work. See, a name is identity. In somebody's name is wrapped up all of the value of that person, all of the characteristic of that person. That's why there's such things as name brand, right? Back in the day, you wanted to wear Abercrombie and Fitch on you, right? Because the name meant something. Now today, you would never want that on your body, right? So you go, that name means something. And it means something that terrifies the world and children, okay? And it should. Sorry if you're wearing Abercrombie and Fitch. I don't, I don't think I see anyone wearing it. Uh, I think we check them at the door and don't let them in. Uh, it means something, though, right? That's why people wear name brand. That's why that exists. It exists to say this name means something. We want to be associated with it because it gives us whatever's associated with that name. I remember I had a pair of glasses when I was a kid, sunglasses. My friend brought them from Mexico, and they were not oakly, but they were oaky. And, you know, you couldn't really tell, though, the way they had designed it. It was great skill down in Mexico, the way they can design, you know, off-name brand. And it was great. But I was associated with oakly, even though it was oaky, but I was associated with it. Because I want to be associated with everything associated with that name. Or think about marriage. And people often take a last name because we're saying, I am, I am accepting this identity now. 
That's where that came from. Or people that choose not to do that. People that choose not to do that, they're choosing it for the same reason. I want to be associated with this identity still. My sister-in-law, my brother's wife, uh, in her family, it was only girls. And she knew, man, my maiden name will be gone. So they named their firstborn son her maiden name, Rockstead. Because because the name, they want the name to still go on because the name means something. See, so oftentimes, here's what we do. We come to our work going, I want to get a name here. I want to get a sense of value and worth, and I want my name, my name to be okay from my work. But if we work for Jesus, if this is the guiding reality that guides our work, Jesus says, this is not what my work is about. You don't have to try to, you're not working for men to get a name. I've already given you a name. I've already, you've been baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians call that the Trinity. That God is three in one. And that we are actually baptized, consumed with. That's why it's dunked into water. That it's saying, this has totally enveloped me. My identity now. I am associated with a name that's not my name. Just as when Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross... He said, I I take away your sins. I take away your dirt. I take away all that you've done. And instead of you having to be defined by your name, I let you be defined by my name. I give it to you. You are in my name. So this means this. We don't have to try to work to be okay. Jesus says, I give you my name. You're associated with me now. And his name is perfect. The Bible says that one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow at his name but here's what's amazing jesus says i am giving you my name so imagine if we went into work like that knowing that we weren't coming to work trying to make a name trying to show that our name is okay trying to allow when we introduce ourselves with our name and the work associated with it that we were okay that our little tagline on Facebook that says where we work, that under our name, the work associated, that that's not what we fought for. But we said, this is my name. See, one of the common temptations in work is idolatry. And it comes from using our work to help us know that we're okay, that our name has value. And Jesus says, I give you my name. You know what this would do? It would give you a ballast so that you don't go too far up or too far down. That if you're doing really good at work, you're not on top of the world. And yes, I'm awesome because my name is good now. Or conversely, if you're doing horrible, that it doesn't crush you. It gives you a ballast. Work doesn't go to your head. It doesn't go to your heart and crush you either because you already have a name. So work is something else now. It's not a way to get value. It's not a way to get work. Here's what this would do. It would mean you don't have to overwork. So many of us overwork. I didn't show these stats, but so many of us, man, we are so much unused vacation time in the U.S., so much much people just like burnt out of their minds. Why? It's not just because they love their job. It's because work is where they get their value. There's the work and there's the work underneath the work that is fighting for identity. It would free us to not have to do that. You know what else it would do? It would free us from being defensive. A lot of people are bad at their jobs because they're defensive. A boss, an employee says, you know what? I I need you to work on this. And we go, no, 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 no. My job is okay. I'm doing good. You're in a misunderstanding. I'm actually, I'm killing it. And, and you know, the boss does a performance review or says something. And then the coworkers, man, can you believe him? He never, blah, 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 right? That's what it literally sounds like, okay? <clears throat> and that's what happens. And why? It's not just that we really think that they're totally crazy. It's it's an insult on our identity. It feels like my worth has been attacked. My value has been attacked. The irony is this. We would actually do better at our jobs if we were able to receive, receive correction and criticism. But when we receive something and it feels like you are assaulting my name, we're defensive, we overwork, we may lie, all sorts of things happen 
because we're trying to prove ourselves and prove our work. So here's, here's what this means. If this is where you struggle, if, if you identify and you go, you know what? Idolatry of work, overvaluing it, making it the place I get my value and identity. If, if that's what you identify with, here's what this means for you. Here's what it means. It means let your faith influence your work. It means when you show up tomorrow to work on Monday and some of those temptations start to rise in you, it means preach to yourself. I've already got a name in Jesus. I'm not here to fight for my value today. I'm not here showing up at work and Monday through Friday or whatever your work hours are, I'm not here this week to prove that I'm okay in this world. I've got a name. I've got a name. I've been baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Preach that to yourself. That's, that's how you, look, here's what it means to let your faith influence your work. It means when you show up to work tomorrow, that you understand this is the issue that you may be up against. This, not just overwork, not just stress, not, not just uh, you know, a bad boss that, that gives you critique. It may be that you are up against fighting for your value and your worth. And if you can understand the beautiful reality that you're not working for men, but you're working for the Lord, and the Lord has already given you a name, and he's already said, I invite you into the perfect name, you don't have to fight for your worth and your value. I've given it to you. That allows you to then do a good job. It allows you to fail. It allows you to do well. It allows you to do all of that because you're not, it's not about your value and your worth anymore. Or idleness, secondly. How does working for Jesus affect the common temptation of idleness? How does our faith influence our work with idleness? Well, here's what it means with this. Everything matters. It's for him. See, Paul said this. He said, whatever you do, well, Paul, I, I'm, I do this, or my work's not really that important, or I just clean stuff, or I'm just, I'm, I'm just in the service industry. I'm just, you know, my job's not this big thing. You know? Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as if you're working for the Lord, not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ. No matter what your job is, here's what it means. It matters. No matter what your job is, it matters to Jesus. No matter what it is. If you're at the top of your game or if you're at the bottom and nobody cares what you do and you're embarrassed to introduce yourself and say, I do this. Oh, no matter what it is, Paul says, it matters. You work for Jesus. I mean, next time you introduce yourself and people say, who do you work for? Uh, Jesus. And then they'll think you're weird and then, you know, show them your Abercrombie shirt also and they'll think you're really weird. But, but that's what we should think. I work for Jesus. No matter what you do, it matters. Because our work is a participation in God's work. You see, God cares for this world and God loves this world. And God, the Bible says all this different language of the way God works in this world. And a big part of how he does that is through us. See, our work matters in part because it's a way that we partner with what he's doing in this world. Let, let me show you how Martin Luther, the great Protestant uh, reformer and pastor from the 1500s, said it. He said this, talking about the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever prayed, you know, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, or give us this day our daily bread, right? Okay, everybody knows that, or not everybody, but a lot of people know that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So here's what Luther says. When you pray for daily bread, you're praying for everything that contributes to your having and enjoying your daily bread. You must open up and expand your thinking so that it reaches not only as far as the flour bin and baking oven, but also out over the broad fields, the farmlands, the entire country that produces, processes, and conveys to us our daily bread and all kinds of nourishment. Here's what Luther's saying. Look, when you say, God, give us my daily bread. How do you get that? God doesn't just go, okay, bink, and throw a loaf at you. He could, but that's not what he does. How does he do it? Well, there's people that are bakers, and there's people that are packagers, and there's people that are shelf stockers, and there's people that drive trucks, and there's, Luther even says, the whole uh, country that produces and processes the laws and things that govern the making of bread. I was talking to somebody about this this week, and, and part of their job is to construct, uh, to manage the construction and the safety of cell phone towers. Now think about this, when you, and it's, it can be a tedious job making sure that, okay, that these are safe, right? I don't even know everything that goes into it. I just know it's tedious. 
But let me tell you this. When you pray, when you pray this prayer, maybe you've prayed this, I've prayed this. God, I'm going to talk with this person today on the phone. I'm going to talk with my grandpa that doesn't know Jesus, and I want to be able to talk to him. God, would you help me to have a good conversation with him? And I ask other people, hey, I'm about to talk to my grandpa. Help me to have a good conversation. Will you pray? How does God answer that prayer? Part of how he answers it is through good cell phone towers, being able to pick up a signal, being able to talk to him. You see, our work matters. Whatever you do, it matters. As long as what you do is not evil, as long as what you do is not against God's purposes, what you do matters. Whatever your job is, it matters because it is part of how we partner with God in his work to care for and love and serve the world. So whatever you do, work at it with all your heart because you're working for him. Whatever you're doing. But see, we don't usually have that mentality, right? That's not usually how we think about our jobs. We may overvalue the work and it becomes idolatrous to us because we're working for men in a name, not for him. Or we undervalue the work and don't think it really matters because it's just a job and I want to get on with my life. But, but when we don't think our work matters, when we don't understand it's for him, you know what happens in our job? We start to cut corners that normally we wouldn't. We start to go, man, this is my Christian life and this is my work life. And we do things in our work life we wouldn't do anywhere else. We may gossip about people at work, and we wouldn't do it over here. We may lie at work, and we wouldn't do it over here. We may mistreat people at work, and we wouldn't do it over here. We start to do things in our work because we don't think God actually cares about it. It doesn't matter. Here's a very important thing. Listen to this. Most of your life as a Christian gets lived out at your job. Most of everything the Bible says, things it says, all the different teachings it says, most of that is going to get lived out at your job, not on the weekend or from 7 to 10 p.m. So the Bible says, love your neighbor. When are you going to put that into practice? Well, sure, I guess you can do it Saturday and Sunday, but most of it is going to happen in the biggest chunk, those 90,000 hours that you're going to work. And the Bible says, don't be anxious, but come to me and pray to me. When's that going to normally happen? It's not just, that's not just talking about some, some sacred area of your life at church. Most of what the Bible instructs us in, most of the things that God teaches us, most of, most of your Christian life, if you're a Christian, most of your life as a Christian will get lived out on the job. Loving your neighbor and praying and not being selfish and talking to him in difficulty and being shaped by suffering, most of your life will get lived out at your job. Most of your faith, most of being a Christian happens in the context of a job. And yet so often, we cut out our job from our faith. It doesn't really matter. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You're working for Jesus. It matters. It matters because it's connected to him. It matters because it's a part of his work. It matters because... Most of your life is there, and so you're working for him. With this mindset, it keeps him at the forefront of everything that we do. What would happen if we show up to work? Whatever situation, whatever opportunity, it's another opportunity to go, okay, Jesus, this is your job. You, this is, I'm, you're my boss. I'm working for you. Okay, so this is happening, so you tell me to love people. So, okay, so help me to love this person. Okay, you tell me to pray, so help me to pray. Okay, you tell me, to, you tell me that in all different areas of my life, you're using them to shape me and, and help me to grow and mature. So God, how are you using this to mature me and help me and shape me? I mean, we would enter into our job then with a mentality that was saying, okay, God, this is, this is your work and you're involved here, so help, help me. We'd stop and we pray and we think about, this is, this is from you, Jesus. I work for you. Knowing that we work for Jesus affects idolatry because we don't, we don't have to fight for a name. It affects our idleness of heart, especially, because we enter into work then not just going, eh, this doesn't really matter, but entering in going, I work for Jesus. I work for Jesus. He cares about this. It matters to him. He's doing something here. So as we build a life, 
as we work on building a life, listen, our work matters. And we need to let his work that he did influence our work. When we take communion, we remember the things that we've already talked about. That Jesus came to this earth and he had his blood shed and he had his body broken. Why? Why did he do that? Why, why did he come to this earth and allow himself to be sacrificed on the cross? It was to forgive us. It was to give us a new name and bring us into his family. And it was as he resurrected, and we even read the verse, called us into a mission to be a part of his purposes. And part of how we do that is being involved in work, to love people and to serve people. So when you take communion, here's what I want you to remember. I want you to pray about your work. I want you to think about, man, Jesus, Jesus, you care about my work. And, and how does what you did affect my work? Thank you for, maybe you're going to pray, God, thank you for giving me a name through what you did. Thank you for forgiving me and making me righteous through what you did. Maybe that's what you're going to pray. Help me not to use my work to get something that you've already given me. Maybe that's what you'll pray. Or maybe you'll pray, Jesus, thank you that most of my life matters. You actually care about all of my life and you're working in all of my life. Lord, help me to let your work on the cross and on this earth affect my work. Maybe that's what you'll pray. And so we're going to take communion and we're going to sing songs to honor and worship this good God that cares about all of our lives. Father, thank you that you love us and care for us and that you've called us into your family. Lord, we've, we've got all these different issues with our jobs, and I know, God, from talking to people in this room, whether it's coworker difficulty or boss difficulty or, or stress or boringness or, or all, all these different things, God, that we struggle with. God, it's, it, it's here in this room. We present our jobs to you, and, and we say, God, we, our work is hard, and, and we want you to be involved in it, and we want to be aware of your involvement in it. And so, Lord, even as we talked about tonight, I pray, help us, even as we sing and even as we take communion and, and as we enter into our work weeks this week, help us to remember that we work for you. Let that shape us, Lord. Let that shape what we do in all our different jobs. Thank you that you've given us a name. You care about our work. We work for you, Jesus. Amen.